The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up in the program, it is our Teen Talk special. Once a month, we focus on teen sexuality. And uh, tonight, along with Tanya Damore, we'll also have uh, the award-winning, critically acclaimed uh, playwright, Oren Safdie, who is in Montreal for his premiere of uh, a new play called Gratitude. Gratitude is a play about coming of age. So perfect guest uh, for this panel. It offers us a little bit of a different uh, perspective. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. Remember that you can send in your emails anytime, Lori at drlaurie.com, L-A-U-R-I-E at D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E. Uh, hi, I am struggling with the notion of porn addiction, constantly want to consume porn, and it has effects in my relationship intimacy. I'd like to be able to have a healthy relationship with porn and sexual desire. So this does certainly sound like you're, otherwise you wouldn't have written me, but that that you're suffering from a sexual compulsion or a a sex or porn addiction, especially when, when a behavior feels out of control and when a behavior, uh, leads to problems in different areas of your life, it's a good bet that it's some form of addiction. And the goal of treatment for addictions is really to develop a healthy relationship with sex, not with porn. And treatment usually starts with a 90-day sobriety period, meaning no porn at all, no masturbation for 90 days. And it actually is very helpful if you could get professional help along with this. So... Um, what you may want to do in your area is check out any Sex Addicts Anonymous groups. Look for a counselor uh, who can help you. There's a listing of therapists who specialize in sex addiction. If you go to www.iitap.com, that's iitap.com, and on that site as well, there's a questionnaire that you can fill out like a a little test and it gives you an idea of the extent of your, uh, sex addiction. So, uh, so that would be where you could get help and where you could determine if this is in fact something, um, that this can, do you want to call it a condition? I don't know. Like some, there's a lot of debate about, uh, sex addiction, but there's certainly a compulsive component to it. And, and that's, um, that would be a diagnosis. Uh, I am uh, f- facing a penis size problem. Uh, let's see. My penis erection size measured five inches. My girlfriend is really unsatisfied. So erect penis measures five inches. My girlfriend is really unsatisfied and I'm really disappointed. Uh, please help. What good dose of medication can I use? Um Anyway, feeling consumed, it ends. So first first of all, let's start with the facts. Uh, fact is that on average, a penis measures around 5 inches, give or take a few centimeters. So it's really 5.2 inches. Uh, there's no medication 
to increase penis size. And according to most women, I'm not saying all, most women, a woman's satisfaction is usually not about having a large penis to pleasure her. And I say that considering that the majority of women do need more than a penis. They need clitoral stimulation as well. Is it possible that she is unsatisfied because you are not spending enough time pleasuring her with your hands, your mouth? Maybe there's just not enough uh, foreplay. Is it possible uh, that she expects to be able to climax uh, through intercourse, and since it's not happening, she feels dissatisfied. So it often happens, by the way, that both men and women are misinformed about what women need to reach climax. So my advice is to start focusing on more foreplay and see if that does anything, because increasing your penis size, that's just... Uh, not much of an option, really. And although there may be some women who say size does matter, by and large, if you have an average penis, uh, most women are not complaining about the size, but more what you do about it. And I do believe that some women expect, and men too, expect women to climax through intercourse. And if they don't, men will assume that the women are unsatisfied, and many women will feel disappointed and think that it's maybe his fault when it isn't. So we have to look at the biology of all of this as well. And this is where, to me, sex education is so important. Uh, and as a tip from one of our texters who says, uh, you, if you have a short penis, use an extension. So what you're talking about, uh, yes, there are these uh, strap-on um, uh penises basically that are hollow. So you would put your penis in there and it just, it extends, uh, your penis and it would be, uh, whatever material they, they use for that. But there, there are such things as, uh, penis extenders. Uh, this texture writes, hi, I always thought this was an urban legend, but why are men such big babies when they have a cold, yet women are expected to blow our noses and carry on? I started dating a guy, and now he's being a big baby, so I told him about my menses cramps. At least he has sympathy. Uh, so recently, there was an article that appeared, or a study done, and I know this because my husband threw this at me and said, see, I'm not a big baby, because I always complain. It's like, how do you, how do you stay in bed for days? It's just a cold. I've never been laid up in bed because of a cold. And he showed me this research that said something like, the man cold is real. Apparently, men are less able to handle or there maybe their symptoms are different or they affect them differently i'm not sure but apparently yeah this there's something to the man cold i'm not convinced but has anybody seen uh the research or other people complaining about this well, what is it about the man cold maybe i'll ask the one man i i talk to all the time dave uh, can you talk now for a minute can i ask you a question Dave, can I ask you a question <laughs> on air so our listeners can know? <laughs> do you get man colds? I mean, I get colds. And how do you, do you, do you need to, are you a big baby? 
It depends how bad the cold is. Oh, please. Really? Has your wife ever been uh, in bed for days because of a cold? Or does she still get up with the baby and do what no. she's got to do? No, no, she hasn't been in bed for. I don't think I've been in bed for days because of a cold, but like the flu or something. Yeah, but then some, I'm a huge baby. You are, huh? Oh, and yeah. I bet you you think it's a flu and it's not a flu. It's just a cold. And uh, this is what I, I my husband maybe. will say things like, oh, "I've got the flu." I said, "You don't have the flu. Those aren't flu symptoms. You just have a cold." <laughs> I try to okay. ignore all colds. Uh, uh, yeah, well, if you can. Yeah. Well, we're we're grateful you're you're here anyway. So not not. In bed being a big baby with a cold. Yeah, I don't take that many sick days. No, you don't. I'm always here. That's true, as as I am. Uh, maybe that's not a good thing when we have colds. We we still work and, you know, able to transmit some of that stuff. But so, yeah, I don't know if it's an urban legend or a myth or why men seem to not be able to handle that. But every time that happens, women will often say, oh, if men, if men had to have babies and push out babies and go through labor, they, we, the world would just not be populated. <laughs> and Dave's going, yep. <laughs> You're agreeing, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't either, would you? No, <laughs> If we had to give birth, I don't think there would be any anybody. Kids, no. Uh, so then, men are big babies. All right. No, I'm not. I'm not ragging on men. Uh, coming up, our Teen Talk panel, Tanya Demore will be in studio along with uh, Oren Safdie, uh, the uh, playwright. New play in town. Looks like it's a must see called Gratitude. It's all about teenagers. Uh, so we'll be able to get his uh, his take on teenagehood, his experiences, and why he wrote the play, and all of that. And any questions you have about uh, a teen sexuality. After- Your relationship. Relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Once a month here on the program, we focus on teen sexuality. We call this segment Teen Talk. And we've been do- I've been doing this segment for probably 15 years now, uh, approximately. And I find it very interesting and very important and relevant to talk about what's happening in the minds of our teenagers and the lives of our teenagers in the sex education that they're getting or not getting. Um, and it gives parents a voice as well and able to ask uh, whatever questions they have. So joining me uh, tonight, Tanya Demore is here. She's a community health worker and advocate. She's a, the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec and very special guest in studio. Very excited. Oren Safti is here all the way from California. Uh, Montrealer, though. Yes, right? of course. Uh, of course. You miss Montreal? <laughs> Yeah, especially Sometimes. around nights Espe- like tonight. Yeah, right, when it's minus whatever, right? Yeah. It's only smoky in Los Angeles. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm not sure I would want to be there. But there's a new play in town. Uh, November 21st is when uh, it premieres. It's called Gratitude, written and directed by Oren Safty, And he's here to join us because, well, it's a play about teenagers, isn't it? Very much so. Very so much tell so. us about the... the the play and what it was based on and what are some of the themes that you're exploring? Um, well, the play, I guess, what first generated the play for me when I was here one summer three years ago, I was trying to think of a play to write that was set in Montreal, and I thought, what was the most dramatic thing that happened to me while I was here? Oh, okay. And then I remembered I was about to start grade 11, and I got a phone call from the boyfriend of a classmate of mine who told me I shouldn't show up to school or I'd get two bullets through my head. What? So that was uh, pretty 
That's traumatic. Did you go to that school? Did you? Oh yes, you, I did. Okay. I mean, in those days, you know, you just didn't yeah, take the threats so right. seriously. Today, you call the prime minister. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, in those days, you just sort of duck and hid and everything. But it, it sort of brought up all these stories that were happening around that time when I was fifteen and sixteen in in Montreal. I went to St. George's High School. Um, I think it was a unique moment in time because it was the '70s going into the '80s, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of us kids were on our own. You know, there were a lot of divorces in in the families of, of my classmates, and I found that a lot of us sort of were able to. And and I think also we could you know start taking the bus when we were 11 years old, right? Which so parents nobody today really, are, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but you would you were you were really not watched over by anybody. And it led to quite a few interesting things that happened. So uh-huh. I start my play, really, it's all set in the shower room of a locker room of in the basement of this school, of school. Okay. where no, no teachers would go. Okay. It's sort of where all the underbelly of the school happens, you know, okay. the smoking, the drinking, and the sex. Um, based uh, on stuff that really did ha- like based yeah, on some much. things that you knew were happening yes okay through friends or myself right sometimes they're a combination of all of these things right and uh, the, the play starts very innocently with a young girl her name is Daria she's 15 she's maybe Middle Eastern maybe Indian maybe Mediterranean but from a family that is quite conservative and she has a crush on Drew, who's the high school heartthrob. Mm-hmm. He's 16. He's, he's, he's failed a grade, of course, but he can drive. <laughs> so that's a big plus right. for, you know, when you're that age. Of course. And he has a girlfriend. And she steals the test for him and gets him the answers and is trying to come on to him because she really has a crush on him. But she takes it a little bit too far. And he gets very defensive. And he says to her... Well, if you really like me, you'll do a favor for me. And then the next scene is when he asks her to fool around with his two best friends. Uh huh. Wow, this is very relevant to the Me Too movement and and a lot of what we're talking about to high school students today. Yeah, it's Me Too and Me Three in this and case. Me, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, wow. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it's. It, you know, it's it's four characters. There's there's another. There's three males, and through all these characters, and I don't want to really spoil the yeah, story, yeah, right, right. but I really explore the psychology behind all these characters, why they do the things they do. Even Drew, who's sort of the guy who seems to be the jerk, has his own story that he's bringing into this, and does it for his own reasons that we find out later. And we understand the her promiscuity, which. Uh, Starts, you know, she's actually willing to go along with this. Where that comes from, because in her past, she's promised to marry somebody who's older than her that she doesn't want to be in a relationship. So everyone's acting out in this area, really things that are uh, happening at home. Well, that's uh, Oren Safdie, playwright. Gratitude is the play. It premieres uh, November 21st and runs until uh, Sunday, December 2nd. At the, uh, it's at the mainline, mainline, the mainline theater. Yes. So a lot of themes come up in in all of this that are very relevant to today. Even though you experience, it's based on some of your own experiences and and your friends' experiences way back when. Yes. Back then, as you said, it was in the dark. 
in the bowels of the school and the schools were not, the, the principals weren't aware, right. the teachers weren't aware, and our parents weren't aware because maybe well, they were a bit too busy getting divorced. And also it was the time of like Plato's <laughs> retreat, you know, those kind of uh, events, the key the key exchanges that was made uh, famous in the mm. ice storm. Right. So, you know, I do feel like things trickle down to children, like what's happening at home, what's happening in, in their parents' lives, that kind of the disco era and this free sex kind of feeling. I think those things definitely trickle down to the teenagers. Well, I think this shows something about the impact of us as parents on our kids in terms of the the blueprints that we uh, – like we don't realize sometimes that our actions, not our words, but – they observe. Children observe more than they hear. So you can tell a child, don't smoke, but right. if you smoke and they watch you, that has more power than what you say. Right. Uh, so, and their relationships uh, get played out. You know, it has an impact. It really has an impact. Yeah, I think they're, the kids are really perceptive. And even when you think you're being discreet or you think they're not going to notice something. They do pick up on things. They do, you know, read into the coded language and stuff like that. And a lot of parents think that their kids are too young and won't pick up on that, but they don't remember what it's like to actually be a teenager and, and know a little bit more about what's going on than they think. So it's a really good point. Yeah. And they, and, and they'll tune in like when yeah. they know something and they're curious and they, they will absolutely tune in. And this, this affects relationships and how they, um, how they develop in their own love relationships. Yeah. I also want to capture that emotion, that teenagers, that headspace where they are when they're 15, 16, they're discovering their bodies for the first time. They're not only discovering their own sexuality, but they're discovering the power that their body has on others. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they have like they're, the emotions they're feeling when they fall in love. It's not like you know, adults, we've already sort of been burned here and there a couple of times. So we have walls up, but mm -hmm. there are no walls. That's true. And so when they fall in love, it's everything. Right. And when and they can't see beyond that. So if, if there's a breakup, it's like, I'm going to kill myself. That's right. That's and they right. can't see beyond. And so I really want to capture all these characters. They're almost flying with no radar. They're hitting walls. They don't know what's happening. And some, you know. Well, you've of... captured it very well because even as adults and as parents, we forget, and this is a good reminder, and I hope parents will go with their teenagers, but we forget that that those loves in, in high school, even though as adults we say, oh, that was just, we dismiss, oh, it's just puppy love, you'll right. get over it, you'll have many more. But for the child, yeah. having that love and feeling that love, it is, it is some of the most powerful yes. feelings you'll ever experience of love, actually. Yes. Well, and you have to remember also that they're teenagers. They have a lot of hormones. They see these people every day. That is their social context. That's the environment they're in every day. And they are impulsive, right? Like we know teenagers are impulsive. So everything that they're feeling, they're feeling the way a teenager would feel. So you can't contextualize that as an adult to try to understand what they're going through unless you remember what that was like for you at that time. So maybe this is the message for parents is, and maybe this play will do that, will trigger those old feelings. When you start to actually think about it, and I, I know like as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking back, you know, I'm <laughs> right. thinking back and I'm, I'm like, oh, getting choked up from that yeah. beginning. But you forget, you forget how powerful those emotions are and how 
How raw. And one of the shows that maybe have, may have captured some of that is the 13 Reasons Why, and maybe that's why mm-hmm. it was so powerful for uh, for kids to see that. Mind you, before then, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, because well, how old course. are they really in this play? They're, they're around fifteen. Yes, yes, exactly. We forget. So, we put them on a yeah. as if they're adults, but they were not. And that would have been typical. Yeah, that that feeling like I can't live without you, and I, I it's like visceral. Yeah. It's it's just so intense. And I do think that sometimes those experiences that we have at that age can affect our relationships later on. You know, if there's because there's some people yes. I know who had a relationship when they're 13, 14, 15, well, I'd say 15, 16. And if it didn't go very well and they weren't prepared for the fall, it still haunts them like 30 years later. I think that's an, a, a very important point, And I want to talk more about that. So we'll talk about teenage uh, teenage love and how this may impact you. Later, and I want you to think back on uh, while the news is going on. Think a little bit about your first love or your uh, teenage loves and tell us did this impact how you loved later or how you developed in relationships later? We'd love to hear from you at 514 800. This is our Teen Talk panel. We have Oren Safdi in studio along with Tanya Damore, who's a community worker and the uh, vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. And we'd love to hear some of your thoughts after we check in with our newsroom here on CJD 800. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. On our Teen Talk panel, we are delighted to have uh, the director and playwright, Oren Safty in studio with us. He has a new play called Gratitude, and it's all about coming of age but raw, real coming of age, not the BS we find in the media and, you know, Riverdale kind of thing. This no. is, this is real and based on real experiences, which is, which makes it so much more powerful. So we've been talking about those first loves te- and teenage love. And as parents or as adults, there is a tendency for us to be minimizing of that love or dismissive, but I'm sure if you take the moment to think about your first loves, you will change your mind. Like you will see how powerful and you will remember how powerful that was. So when your child goes through it, be, be aware, like recognize the power of that first love, even though you know, you know, and your wisdom tells you, look, you're going to get over this one. And I mean, everybody does, right? right? We all move on. That's a fact. Not everybody. Well, most of us. All right. (laughs) Most of us, Tanya. And I I think what's important to remember also is that you learn from experiences. So when you're an adult, it's easy to look back and say, oh, you know, I've had some positive experiences. I've had some negative experiences and this is what I want right now. But when you're young and it's maybe your first or second relationship, this is where you're building those experiences. So you have nothing to compare it to. Right, right. So for you, that is real and that is genuine and the the only thing that you have as a reference point. So whether that's good or bad, you have no idea. And sometimes that brings on its own emotions, you know? And affects the kinds of relationships we have. There was yeah. a study uh, that I read about uh, not long ago that that did show, and I, I don't have the exact uh, uh, source, but that did show that if you had positive experiences and positive sexual experiences and pos- positive 
um, relationship experiences that you are more likely to have satisfactory experiences later. So obviously there's a great impact. I just want to share some of the texts uh, from our listeners at 514-800. My first love in high school ended up in a friend zone. I got over it until 10 years later. She came back into my life and now we are together. Uh, if love is meant to be, it is meant to be. Well, social media, I'm sure helped a little. <laughs> like yes. this, this happened. This is happening more and more. Have yeah. you noticed that? That people are going back and reconnecting to all those first, uh, relationships. Yeah, because it's so hard to get to know somebody all over again, but you connect with somebody who you knew when they were even six or seven years old, and you see them and it's like nothing changed. Well, there's that, <laughs> right? but there's also the, the, um, memory of the depth of those emotions b- way back then right. even if you you broke up and and, yeah. uh, and you went on in life you still have that imprint i think of that first love especially if it was something that was a, a yeah. obviously positive i just went know? to a wedding of my cousin in toronto who married after two other marriages both of them came back and from from first loves, yes, from like wow. high school, and I know other stories where yeah, it happens. Yeah, there's like a this. lot more now, yeah. and a lot more because people are connecting on social media. I think yeah. if it, if it wasn't for that, how did people find? How did we find right. each other before? Looked in the yellow page, like we looked in the phone book, right? It's yeah. Like it then you had to effort. call everybody else. It, it took way too much effort. Why would you call? <laughs> you don't. You wouldn't know. Is the person married? Not married? Like you'd never just randomly call somebody. But hey, when you can check them out on social media, you know what they're doing. Yeah. So it's a whole other thing. Uh, once you meet someone else, you forget about your first love. This texture writes, especially if your first love was a jerk. The next guy is always better because your demands are higher. So this is what you're saying, Tanya, is that you, you build on those relationships. You learn. Yeah. I mean, and it can go the other way as well, right? You can be in a series of negative relationships and then kind of start to normalize that behavior. So it's important to really identify what is, you know, unhealthy and what is healthy and what do you need. And what are your boundaries? Because if you just keep reliving negative experiences and normalize that, then you're not going to necessarily that's a good want point. better. That's a, mm-hmm. a very good point. And I'd say that sort of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, where the family life that the child is living in affects how their relationship might be. Because if they're not receiving, maybe there's some trouble going on at home and they're not receiving much love or they're not feeling like they mm-hmm. are they'll not only fall in love, but it will mean so much. They won't feel like they have any other choice. So it becomes almost possessiveness. It becomes a need. A need. Right. More than a want. And it becomes desperate. It's like, you're going to save me because what I came from, it's not there. So that you put all your eggs in that basket. Right. And if that ends and then you're left with, you know, it can be devastating. Right. Devastating, helpless, hopeless. Uh, and then we see a lot of the yeah. the, the, the teen depression and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, we should be aware of that because love and heartbreak at that age could uh, lead to self harm and de- and depression and anxiety in in teenagers. Definitely. Uh, this texter writes: My first love, five years together, was tough at first when we broke up. I thought I was going to be alone forever. Didn't want to hear what anyone had to say. Surprisingly, after only a month, I woke up one morning and felt happy and so much better. My relationship taught me a lot, though. What I really was looking for in a guy, and it definitely taught me not to settle for just anyone. 
I was so over my head, I did not even notice how different we were in every wrong way and how I lost myself and my identity with this guy. Not even a year later, I found the most amazing person who I love even more than the first, which I never thought was possible. And that is the beauty about growing up and, yes. and, and realizing I thought that was love. Like sometimes you realize, wow, you'd think you could never love again. And then you realize how much better it can be when you also change your parameters of what you're looking for and things like that. Yeah. And I think a good point that I also got from the beginning part of that message was, you know, you can be in a relationship, but especially in a high school setting or like, you know, early CJEP college setting, if you start to become isolated and your only support system, maybe something's going on at home and you don't have parents or friends to turn to, and then you spend all of your time with this other person that you are in love with, and then it goes wrong, then you lose that support system as well. So then that does, you know, contribute negatively to your health and your well-being. Absolutely, your mental health. Yeah, and I think a negative sign is if you uh, find yourself changing yourself to suit that other person, which we often do mm-hmm. in high school, mm-hmm. which I think later on, you know... It's you sometimes, learn boundaries later on, I think, yeah, better boundaries. Yeah, and I think you also yeah. realize real love is sort of on a basic level that you just are able to be completely yourself. Right. Yeah. You know, That's but we're so insecure true. when we're young and we think, well, we have to do this and change that, but... That's, I think, a sign where you sort of have to watch it's out. It's real love, but it's immature love. And right. and I think that's the – because when you're in it, it feels real. Yes. But at, when you look back, you realize there's an immaturity to that kind of love, which obviously right. makes sense. And you're also getting cues from the outside world, right? Like you're seeing movies. You're comparing yourself to friends. You're comparing yourself to classmates, to people you've heard about, to stories, to rumors. So you're always constantly like reflecting on your own behavior and your own relationship and then comparing yourself as to what you're supposed to be. So if that's not really who you are, Mm -hmm. you won't necessarily behave as you normally would as an adult because you're not at that stage of your life, right? right? Lots of things to consider. We're talking about first loves. Uh, we want to hear uh, your experiences, your first loves. Did it impact uh, your future relationships or how did it impact your future relationships? 514-800. Our Teen Talk panel tonight is Tanya Demore. She's a community health worker and the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, along with playwright Oren Safty from uh, California, who is here. His play um, premieres on Wednesday, November 21st, and runs to Sunday, December 2nd at the uh, Mainline Theater. We'll tell you how to get tickets coming up and share some more of your experiences of first love here on Passion on CJD. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Teen Talk tonight, we've been talking about teen love, uh, teenage first loves often. Uh, Tonight we have Oren Safdie in studio. He is the playwright of Gratitude. It starts November 21st to Sunday, December 2nd. And I know it deals with a lot of sexual material. Do you recommend that, What first of all, what age can go? uh, Well, they do say 16 plus, but I would say a mature 15-year-old could see it because any kind of sexual material we portray on stage is not, there's no nudity. There's no nudity, right. It's all suggestive. Right. But, but it's content. And yes. frankly, kids are – I'm hearing about children who are 12 yeah. watching Riverdale. Have you seen that? No, I don't Full have of sex. <laughs> full of – like I was just talking about this to a group uh, today. 
it is not an Archie comics. Like this is, you're talking about Betty, who is a secret dominatrix. You're talking about like webcam, ta- like webcamming yeah, and really. all kinds of uh, like heavy duty sex is going on. Well, then I should lower this to 14. Yeah, man, you might want to. It's pretty tame comparison. All right. Well, I, I just think that it would be great for parents to go with their teenagers because it gives them a lot to talk about. It's and, not gratuitous in any way. Right. It really gets to the psychology behind every character, why they're acting out, why they're bullying, why, why they're pressuring. So you really get into their minds. Yeah, I think that's great. So if people want tickets, where, uh, where are they going? Um, I, you know, I think it's... I think I have that I information. Mainlinetheater.ca. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> See what happens when you come from all the way from L.A. just to be at your own premiere? <laughs> you don't have the basic information. Uh, November 21st to December 2nd at Mainline Theater. Uh, the box office is 514-849-FEST, F-E-S-T, yes. or 3378, or mainlinetheater.ca. And the name is the name of the play, Gratitude. Yes, so and we're, we're sold out opening night. So Oh, look yes. at you. All yes. right. That's wonderful. All right, but it's playing for two weeks. Ten days to over two weeks. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. So people uh, can still get tickets. And some so. really great actors. One of Some of the best actors in Montreal are in this play. Oh, wonderful. So, yes. I am looking forward to that. All right. A couple texts here. Um, when I fall for a celebrity, it feels like love for my first relationship. Okay, that sounds fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really, doesn't feel too real. Uh, then another text writes, when you marry your high school sweetheart, he will most likely cheat on you. So that's another interesting issue in terms of usually when you think of that, you think, okay, they're first sexual partners, right? right? So the question comes up, like, is that, does that mean because you never had the chance to sow your oats or have others to compare to or what have you? That's a whole discussion for another day. Um, (laughs) When you are in different relationships, you will never love them equally. It all depends on how you are treated and many other factors as well. I, I think all love can be different. It doesn't all feel the same. That's true. And just because it doesn't feel the same doesn't mean it's not love. Right. That's, that's an important factor because our needs change too. What you Mm -hmm. want out of life, what you're looking for. Uh, I was with my first love for two years towards the end of our relationship. I found out that he was fooling around behind my back among other things. While I'm trying to fix it, letting love in and trusting others has become difficult. So yes, I do feel first loves do set up how you see future partners, yes. which is can feel very traumatic at that age. And I think this is what we have to look at is the, as much as the, we can fall hard in love, you can, your heartbreak feels that much more, may feel that much more intense. And so that feeling may get triggered as a trauma, almost like a post-traumatic stress that gets triggered in in terms of trusting and, and feeling secure and feeling safe. So. And I've also heard sometimes if you're trying to, um, when you remember a, a breakup and it stays with you for so long and you think about, what did I do wrong? How could I have done this? What can I do? And it, and I think sometimes it connects back to sometimes it could be even our own family. If we only fix that, we would have fixed something else further back in our lives because mm. it's almost like we and, – and then you can ask the question, if we got into this relationship knowingly that – not not consciously, but knowingly that this was not a, pro, a good relationship because we wanted to 
prove that we can make it into a good relationship. Right. Fixing something maybe from our childhood. That's true. And, yes. and we still do that as adults. Yes. I mean, that's a, that's a reality in terms of the, the psychology of relationships and why we may be attracted to yeah. to certain types. Uh, this texture writes, I experienced my so-called first love at the age of 14 and never really got over him until my early 20s, or so I thought, considering I'm now in my mid-50s and still have dreams about him at least once a month, even though I rationally understand that it wasn't real per se, and that furthermore, it's a mere lingering memory of someone who no longer exists, at least not as such. But try telling that to my apparently unreasonable subconscious mind. Well, you see, you come back to that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's what you're talking about before, Laurie. Like it's it's not so much that person, but the idea of what they represent and the feelings that you had at that time. So those those dreams, while it might be like the embodiment of that person, it's really just you know you're thinking back to a time where you had a different type of emotion that you're trying to relive. Yes, and and maybe it was a positive thing that you are, are are trying to regain. It made you feel alive. It made you feel good. It made you know made all of those things. Uh, Texter writes: I fell in love with one of my first girlfriends at the age of fourteen. We were in love. She had to move to New Jersey. Needless to say, the long-distance relationship did not work. 14 years later, when I was 28, she moved back to Montreal. We hooked up again. As I grew up over those 14 years, I always wished that we had been together still because I loved the idea of virgin love. It wasn't long after we started dating again that I found out she had had sex with over 100 guys because she had kind of a vengeance against men. Needless to say, that didn't last too long. Okay, I know, I'm not sure about the virgin love thing, but okay. Uh, sometimes you break up not because you stop loving the uh, per person, but because you need to break up because of what you had to put up with. Yes, sometimes you love, but that love is unhealthy love. Like there's love, there's healthy love, and there's unhealthy love. Yeah. Sometimes it's not healthy, and we still want to stay, and we still feel love. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that, um, well, one, one last text. Once it felt real with a celeb as he was staring at me from afar and came directly to me. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for him as a person. When he dies, I mourned him. A medium described him to a T freaky. Mm, sounds a bit freaky to me too. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you. Orin Safti. Thank you. It was such thank a you. pleasure. I had no idea where this was going to go. And look Neither at that. We, we talked about love and teen love and first love. It was great. Once again, if you're interested in the play Gratitude, a first night sold out, but uh, there's uh, still uh, nine more shows. Uh, check out mainlinetheater.ca. The play is Gratitude here until December 2nd, and then it's probably off to New York and somewhere big, big and exciting. So thank you once again. Thanks to Tanya Demore. Uh, she's a community health uh, worker and the VP of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, which you can check out on uh, Facebook as well. Thank you all for your text messages. Learned a lot about you tonight, about uh, your first loves. Uh, so grateful to have that. Uh, thank you to Dave Simon, our technical producer. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or uh, my website at drlori.com. Don't forget to send in your questions as well, Lori at drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember, to live your life with passion.